I'm Evan. And I'm Sam. And this is Movie Night Madness. Yep. The podcast where we discuss films in a not very succinct way. We kind of go off on our own rambles. We don't talk particularly well, as showcased by what I just said. And uh, Rambles. Yeah. She said rambles, everybody. Yeah. That happened. Yeah. Mark it on your calendars. Ooh. Anyway, this week, we're probably going to be discussing John Wick 3. I have no idea. Probably. probably. Potentially. But that's what we had scheduled. But we, for once, we haven't actually discussed it before we've gone into the film. So we have no idea what, what, what each of us thinks. So when we get to that part, it's going to be a, a wild roller coaster for all of us, I hope. Um, yeah. Um, I had a big argument after seeing it. It was a good kind of film argument. But I had a big argument with a friend. And uh, I, I'd be interested to see if... Uh, History repeats itself <laughs> here today. Um, there isn't a whole lot of housekeeping. Uh, we'll, of course, do our normal segments, Booster Pack and uh, News and Rumors. But uh, the only thing, I guess, is that last week we had some audio issues. You probably noticed if you heard that episode. That uh, would be a lot of echoing, things like that. Um, we're working on it. The gremlins that exist in the, in the phone lines and the fiber optic cable, they're a surly bunch, but we're, we're working with them for some kind of peace accord. Hopefully, Sprunkle, the the king of the gremlins, <laughs> will take our offering of tribute and stop fucking with our shit. Yep. But we'll have to see. Here's hoping I've got everything crossed: toes and fingers and ears. And and the witch that cursed me with talking too fast, uh, she's MIA. I can't find her <laughs> to get her to relieve the curse. So while you're over there thinking, "Hey, Evan, enunciate more," believe me, I am. You just can't hear it because of a curse. Yeah, that witch. Damn her. Yeah. But she's she's the mean kind. We've, not the good kind. Yeah. We've traded some small children, so hopefully um she's gonna be away for a little while at least. Should I should I make a like an occupational perks of being a substitute teacher joke here? Or would that be like <laughs> that's maybe get me into trouble? Yeah, I don't know. You're gonna point um, out a source of small children to our entire We're gonna audience. need to well, we'll need a disclaimer on this episode. You know, no small children were traded to witches in the making of this episode. Yeah, I'll, I'll stick that in my notes right now. But they actually were. <laughs> um, Don't give us secrets. So, like. oh, I know. Uh, so, how was your week? Speaking of which, uh, witch, huh? Yeah, witch. Nice. Um. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, same old, same old. I don't think I actually have anything new to tell you each week. All I do is, is sit at home. So, oh, oh, I suppose. Oh, I don't know. Uh, my interview date has come up for immigration and that's this month. So I've got like 18 days to go until until I have my interview date. So that's great. That's crazy. I've got 18 days to go till I'm done working for the year and, and get to enjoy two months of, uh, of unemployment and... Uh, <laughs> the, the sort of weird, slippery feeling of time going by and not having anything productive to do unless you're making your own productivity, like yep. with hobbies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, I got, I got summer vacation is in like 18 days for me, so that's pretty sweet. That's cool. We'll have we'll have someone to talk about that week. Yeah. If I'm not <laughs> like completely obliterated. <laughs> yeah. 
I've, um, I've been trying to read, so I suppose that's, well, that's something good. new. How's 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 that going? Um, I've met, How many letters of the alphabet are you thinking? Um, I'm at least up to thirteen by now, so we're we're doing good. Halfway there. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. It's been pretty productive for me. What are you reading? Um, I'm reading a book uh, by Stephen and Owen King. Um, I think it's called mm-hmm. Sleeping Beauties. Um, it kind of sounded a little bit like. Um, Oh, in a way, a little bit like The Stand, and that's like my favorite Stephen King oh, yeah. book. So, um, mine too. Yeah, it's really good. Um, but this one's about um, a sleeping, like a sleeping disease, kind of takes over the world, but only affects the women. Um, so when they go to sleep, oh. they end up with this like, <clears throat> like cocoon kind of thing over their face, and they just sleep, and they go to like a different world when they're dreaming, where it's just women and everything's like euphoric and. It's like paradise, basically, and it leaves all the men behind and they try and wake the women up. But if you pull the um, if you pull the shroud off their face, they go violent and like kill you Um, and then they go back to sleep again. So like your average woman, basically. Um, But uh, yeah, it's it's been pretty interesting so far. I'm I'm seven chapters into it and it's it's been really good so far. So I'm interested. I'm interested. That, that's one I haven't read. Um, I like Joe Hill, his other boy that writes. Yes, he does some uh, really kinda. good stuff. Although, yeah, I thought the fireman was kind of overrated. Um, I, I, but yeah. I, I kind of, yeah, yeah you, we could talk about that yeah. uh, on our Stephen King podcast <laughs> um, called The King and I. <laughs> or The King and We. We haven't, we haven't settled on a title yet. No. Um, I, I read, okay, though this is going to sound goofy and pretentious maybe, but I'm reading like seven books right now. And I'm, but like that, that, no, 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 (laughs) this is not impressive. This is because I, I, I don't have, most people who read, um, tend to go one book at a time for very good reason, uh, and finish things. I, I used to be the kind of person who was, would have three books on the go and I would read whenever, like I'd read all the time and, uh, I would switch books based on my mood. Right. Um, but I would actually read them. These days, I have this problem, uh, maybe it's just something that happens to you in your 30s, where I just, you know, I'll start a book and I'll get a ways through it, and then I'll put it down and start another book and I'll get a ways through it, and I just keep doing that. So I have a bunch of books on the go, and it takes me now months to finish a book, because I'm bouncing around in between all of them all the time, uh, and I don't read as much as I used to, which is like, I feel like punching myself in the face saying that out loud, because even, you know, it's true and I feel like it's shameful. Yeah. but I'm reading, uh, I'm reading a Stephen King book uh, for the first time, Salem's Lot. Ooh, nice. I'm reading a short story collection. Now those are two books I'm reading to Catherine, and so we now we we have two books on the go. So I've even infected us reading together because <laughs> I, I read to her. Uh, sometimes. That's so cute. I love it. We go we go to bed at different time at different times though. Um, so it can be. It can be a very sporadic thing. Like, I stay up a lot later than she does usually. Yeah. So it's, you know, we have to really set aside time to, to do it. Yeah. And she often falls asleep right when I'm getting to the good part <laughs> of a chapter or a story. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, so that, you know, that's slow going. And I'm reading, uh, uh, I'm reading one of the Way of Kings books, uh, or the Stormlight Archive books from Brandon Sanderson. I have mixed feelings about Brandon Sanderson in general. Yeah. Um, and I, it's these, his books are very readable. They're huge. They're like a thousand pages long, but I can get through them pretty quick because they're not all that complicated or, or hard to read or like whatever. And they're, they're the plot. He's good at keeping a plot moving and stuff. So it's all good. I have a lot of problems with 
with um, his books, though. Yeah. And uh, and this is no exception. So it's kind of like, you know, I'm reading it in spite of myself almost. And then I've got one of the Expanse books that I've had on the go for a really long time. <laughs> uh, the, 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 not the latest one, but the one before that where they jump forward in time 30 years or something. And I, I, found, I found the, the change in, in the books a little bit hard to... But yeah, yeah, anyway, it's a long <laughs> spiel about all the books I'm reading. I haven't even talked about the non- nonfiction books I'm reading, but that's, that's you know. Yeah. I read I read all these books, but it takes me forever, and I, I bet you if I read them one at a time, I'd read it at like the same rate as everybody else does, you know? Yeah, probably. I'm exactly yeah. the same, to be honest. I've got about three or four books that I've started, and I've then there you go. picked up another book and started reading that, and I kind of flick between all of them. So I, I'm, I know exactly where you're coming from. I'm exactly the same way. I wonder, I always think it's it's strange, but maybe it's more common than I think. Um, do you read on Kindle or do you read like all like physical books? No, it has to be a physical book. I can't read on a screen. Oh, I can. See, and that's one of my problems is <laughs> when I get bored of something I'm reading on Kindle, I can easily swap to something else. It takes two seconds, right? Yeah. I do read physical books too. Uh, less and less though, because I have, I have hundreds of books and um, I never throw them away or give them away. So yeah. I'm very reluctant to give up a book. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, unless it's totally trash. So I have all these books and I just don't want more of them. It's the same with DVDs and Blu-rays. I have tons of those. And I've stopped buying them because now you can just stream everything or you can buy a digital version. So Yeah. You know. Yeah. I've got uh, for, to put it in perspective, on my nightstand on my side of the bed, I've got twelve books. Hmm. And on Drew's dresser, on Andy's dresser which is his dresser and not mine i've got uh another eight so 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 what the fuck did you mean earlier when you were like i'm trying to read or whatever because i am trying to read like back in the day i would spend entire weekends like inside a book like i would start a book and i would read it until i was finished with it and then i'd move on to the next one and i would do that over and over again and i'd go through entire series of books like that so i read the entirety of uh, a song in ice and fire george rr R. martin's books right in like a month because i literally was like picking one up i read it all i picked up the next one and i read it all and, and so on and um, but now i can get maybe a chapter into a book and i'm distracted and doing something else so i've got like like 12 books on my nightstand which i know i want to read at least three of them have bookmarks in where i've made it about halfway through and oh, do you do you not dog ear? Do you not? Oh no, don't dog ear your pages. Oh, I do. I do that. Oh my god, I do that. I'm, 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 it's it's weird that I have so many books because I'm very hard on books. Yeah. I fuck them up. Like all of them are wrecked. Like all the covers are are like all warped and bent. And I frequently drop books in water off in the toilet. Oh my god. Yeah. You're the worst. Because I always I always read when I'm pooping. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's a good yeah. time to read, actually. I. It is. I it's like the best time. Instead of like taking my phone and then playing solitaire. Yeah, yeah. So I, I started taking my phone in and then I had a close call where I almost dropped my phone in the toilet. <laughs> so I stopped doing that. Because oh uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if these these shitty modern phones that aren't meant to survive more than a year. I'm on year three with mine, though. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Knock on wood, etc. cetera. <laughs> uh, I don't think they could survive getting wet and the rice bag uh, the rice bag uh, treatment. I don't know if, if, if that would fix it. I don't think it would. Um, so, uh, you know, it's funny though, because when you first said you're trying to read, I I was thinking about our old co-host Sterling who reads a lot of books, but he really listens to audiobooks. Yeah. So when you said I was, you're trying to read, I thought for some reason that, uh, cause we've talked about books a lot, so I know you read, Yeah. but I thought maybe you meant 
that you were like an audiobook person no. and you're trying to make the jump to, <laughs> you know. No, I have exactly old, the old school. Yeah, I have exactly one audiobook, and that's the passage, the passage, the passage by Justin Cronin. Oh yeah, and that's because it's right. my favorite book of all time, and I've read it at yeah. least six or seven times, so I know it off by heart. And the only reason I have an audiobook version of it is if I'm stuck somewhere or I'm trying to go to sleep and I just want something to listen to that I don't need to pay attention to. I'll put that on because it doesn't matter where it is in the story. I can just listen to one sentence and know exactly whereabouts we are and what's happened before that. So that's the only audiobook I own. Well, that's uh yeah, that's crazy. I've I've still never ever done an audiobook. But I, I like the idea of of doing it like for the first time with one of my favorite books. Yeah. Because if you know the book really well, then I, I think maybe the experience would be more special. I feel like if I tried an audiobook of a book I don't know, I would just stop I would just buy it and read it. Yeah. Of listening, <laughs> you know, I'd eventually just get tired of like, you know, um, of listening to somebody read it to me. Although, you know, like I, I was very slow to get into podcasts, which I know is funny because we're doing one. Um, so it might be a similar kind of thing where like, you know, once I started really listening to podcasts, I started to understand like the p- parts of my life where listening to podcasts is, is, is where it works. Yeah. Because I don't drive that much if I can help it. And I don't commute like a lot of Americans do who that's their main podcasting time. I don't have to take the train or any public transportation these days, really. Um, I sort of wish I discovered podcasts like 10 years ago <laughs> when I was on the bus all the time. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I don't, you know, I don't have to travel a whole lot or whatever, right? So the, the times where podcasts fit into my life are, aren't as many as I think would be more conducive to picking it up as like a regular hobby, but I, I have uh, gotten into that. So maybe audiobooks is like the next step. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Well, okay. Uh, we should probably move on. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Hope you hope you listeners had fun <laughs> listening to us uh, talk about books for a little while. Well, you know, we're this is the section, the first 10 minutes of, the, of these, if you, you know, we're always probably going to kind of just talk about whatever, um, that's, this is our like little check-in time where we, you know, do that. And if you don't like it for some reason, fuck you. But if you don't like it, uh, you can skip it, yeah. you know, just, just skip 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 13 minutes and a half, whatever. And, uh, and then get to the main event or whatever it is about our podcast. You happen to like, yes. if not this. Yeah. Um, There's gotta be a reason you're can, listening to it. Can you tell I'm trying to enunciate more clearly? <laughs> can, you, can you tell? I'm making an effort. You're trying very hard. I'll give you uh, that. It's, I've, I've, as soon as I get excited, it's going to fucking stop. <laughs> um, speaking of excited, it's time for Booster Pack. Uh, I think we should go back to using <laughs> the fucking the sound thing. I kind of like your sound effects. It's kind of more personal. Right. I'm going to try to do it differently every week then. Okay. <clears throat> So why don't you, you have a kind of a, uh, a weird one this week. So why don't you start us off with your booster pack? Yeah. I don't have as much to say about yours. So let, let's, let's hit it. Yeah. So, um, what I wanted to boost this week, because I actually thought it was going to be really good was the Ted Bundy film on, on Netflix. Um, which has got that really God awful name, which I specifically wrote down so that I wouldn't forget it. And I've now moved it. Um, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. So <clears throat> I wanted to boost this because because I thought it was actually going to be really good and I had a weird fascination with true crime for a little while. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And of all the people, um, Ted Bundy's kind of the weirdest. Um, so obviously it's a film about him and I thought it was going to be more about his victims, which it should be, 
but it was actually a very pro Bundy film. They kind of made the film kind of like they were setting, like the film was kind of set up like Bundy was set up by the police and it's kind of told from his point of view about how he's completely innocent and he never did anything and uh, the police were just out to get him and it was just all a big setup and it was very pro-Bundy and there wasn't anything about the victims or anything in there or, you know, the people who actually lost their lives. So actually it wasn't a very good film. Um, it kept us engrossed because we were kind of like, this is really weird. But it wasn't like engrossed in a good way. It was kind of like, are they going to actually keep this up for the entirety of the film or are they going to actually point out the fact that he is a very disgusting human and a waste of life and <laughs> they might have done that at the very end tell us how slightly, you really feel but uh i mean he was he yeah he yeah no i agree he, like there's no need for humans like that they should just be gotten rid of because there's no need for that in humanity but oh, that's just going into my political stances here let's stay away from that freaking minefield um but uh yeah it's 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 not worth a watch i wanted to boost it but i can't so well, all I'm going to say about it is if you're kind of interested in Bundy and wanted a different perspective for whatever reason, maybe give it a go, but it's not it's not, it's not worth it. And that's all the airtime I'm going to give to it because he doesn't deserve it. Um, what are you going to boost this week, Evan? Um, Deadwood, the movie, but more Deadwood in general. Um, so Deadwood, the movie came out on Friday and it's like 13 or 14 years maybe 15 years since the show was like live on the air. I watched it long after it ended, I think like a um, couple years. And it's one of the all time great TV series. Like it's so good. Everybody should watch it. <clears throat> There's something in there for everyone. Even if you don't typically like Westerns, it's not a Western in, the, in any conventional sense. It's more like a, uh, it's kind of like a Shakespearean play uh, that just plays out in a Western setting. Uh, and its themes are sociological and they're not really, it's not really about like cowboys fighting each other or people or conquering the West. Excuse me. <clears throat> Ugh. We'll cut that, that coughing sound. <laughs> Unless you hear this, then Sam didn't cut it. <laughs> but, uh, sorry for your ears if, if she didn't. But um, anyway, it, Deadwood is a really good show. It has like a, the thing that makes it awesome to me or always did was the dialogue uh, in it. It's some of the best dialogue written because it's like, it's got that Shakespearean quality of like being really easy and fun to listen to, introducing all kinds of slang in terms of phrase that suddenly become part of your own personal lexicon. Um, but it's also stagey and artificial in a way that's, that's fun. Like it's heightened. It's not at all how real people talk even in that era. Uh, but it has like, it has some like kind of aspects of the cadence of speech, at least as best we can tell from writing that's been recovered from then and the very few recordings from the end of the, the 19th century. So like, you know, it's, it's got all these cool qualities about it. It's sort of about real people, but it's been reimagined. Uh, and the movie comes out 15 years after the show gets canceled with almost all the same people in the, in the roles. Uh, they didn't recast anybody, but there are a few people who, who passed like Powers Booth who were in the show uh, and their characters hadn't passed. And so they, they, you know, they're not in the movie, um, you know, and I just, I just think more people should watch this show. And now that there's this movie, 
for some, it'll feel like there's closure to the story after, you know, a lot of people probably avoided the show knowing that it got canceled before the story was really complete. But it's not really the kind of story that ever could be completed until everybody in it is dead. Um, you know, so the movie is kind of like a half closure. I don't want to spoil it or talk about it too much here, uh, besides just to say people should watch it, but um, I, I didn't find that it offered a whole lot of closure. It was more like checking in with some characters that you loved 10 years later. Yeah. And, uh, and it felt a little bit like it almost a bridge to another season of the TV show that'll never, ever happen. Because David Milch, the creator, um, he has Alzheimer's. So, you know, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's a few years ago. And he's basically racing against time to get some things finished. And um, particularly to, uh, I guess, tie up some creative loose ends that he feels that he's left in his career, you know? So yeah. this movie's kind of like that. And it does feel more like an ellipsis than a period on the end of, of Deadwood. Right? Yeah. Um, I love this show so much. And I introduced it to Catherine uh, last year. We watched the whole thing and I've, I've rewatched it. I remember last week I said I've rewatched Game of Thrones more than any other show. Deadwood would be the next, <laughs> the second. I've, I've watched that yeah. show through four times, I think. And uh, <clears throat> I love it. And uh, we want to go to Deadwood and kind of like check it out. You know, it's in Dakota and South Dakota. Go check that out and see the Black Hills and see some of the like the touristy shit that'd be down there now based on all these real people. So it's all very cool. <laughs> that would be cool. And nerdy. Nerdy kind <laughs> of too. I don't think I've ever watched Deadwood. Um, it's got Ian Machine in it, right? Yeah, and that's that's yeah. one of the reasons why um why we you know, like we like it so much, because he's so good in it. Like people are starting to know him more for John Wick and uh, possibly for American Gods. But Deadwood is like the Ian McShane show. Yeah. Um, so like you know that's that's that that is like one of the all time great characters in media, <laughs> and uh, and he completely it's him like you can't divorce the two, um, and every character he's played since has echoes of Al Swearengen from Deadwood in it, especially his Odin in uh, in American Gods. I think uh, that's his most Al Swearengen ish yeah. character. Since Deadwood, but you yeah. know, um, I like Timothy Oliphant a lot, and people oh, thought yeah. he was kind of a goofy, pretty boy until Deadwood. Yeah, you know, I, I like it's him a, as well. Yeah, he's great, and it's a it's a murderer's row of amazing actors. <laughs> uh, some of which never really got bigger than that show. Others went on to various kinds of uh, fame afterward. Um, I, I think one of the few that's probably. Uh, I guess John Hawks, cinema people like like cinema enthusiasts probably know who John Hawks is. He's he's terrific, but he does a lot of small stuff. He's not in a lot of big movies. Every now and then he'll do one, but he's he's brilliant and uh, and he's a big part of the show. You know, yeah. Um, and other 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 people too, like small stuff. Like Robin Wiegert as Calamity Jane is my favorite character, my mm-hmm. favorite actress in the in the show. And there's just lots of great stuff like that. I could go on and on, so I, yeah. I won't do that. <laughs> you should you should definitely check it out because it is really accessible. There's three seasons of 12 episodes a piece, I think. So it's, you know, 36 hours of television and then a movie that's two hours long. Yeah. It's a lot less of a, of a, it's a lot less of a, of a fucking climb than watching like, say, The Sopranos or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. Because I, I mean, I've never watched The Sopranos because I can't, it's hard to sit down and watch an eight season long TV show even if it's supposed to be super duper good, I will eventually do it. Uh, it's just a big barrier to entry for me. You know, like yeah. I, I never want to watch something that's that far in 
if it's long, like if it's an hour long episode and it's like 12 or 13 episode seasons, it's tough, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's a, it's a big investment in something, especially that where the cultural moment has kind of passed. Like the Sopranos, uh, I didn't even know really about it until almost it was until almost when it was over. Yeah. Because I just didn't have HBO growing up and stuff, right? So. Yeah, no, same. I think the only HBO show I watched growing up was like Sex in the City or something, and that's like twenty minute episodes. I never realized they were so <laughs> short until I rewatched them as an adult. Yeah, uh, I, I like that. Like, I'll watch, I'll, I'll check stuff out that's run a lot of seasons if it's like 20, 30 minute episodes. Um, because, like, you can just, it's it's easy to watch with breakfast or something, right? Like, it's yeah. bite-sized chunks of, 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 uh, of TV. Uh, I find it less intimidating to start a show that's really got a lot of, of episodes if they're short. Um, like Same. me and my wife have been watching Bob's Burgers for two years oh because God, like we, it's so good. We watch it really slow because there's so much of it. It's it's just finished the ninth season, um, and they're twenty minute episodes, so it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. And every single episode is funny. I don't think I've watched an episode of that show that's not been funny. Oh, I think it's better than The Simpsons. Like even The Simpsons is like uh, Simpsons is, 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 is <laughs> uh, The Simpsons had like a like a a, a good like five, six year, maybe even more stretch where it was like peak Simpsons. Yeah. I think Bob's Burgers is consistently better even than that. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm mad at my past self for sleeping on that show <laughs> when it was like getting going, you know? Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's one of the, it's the most consistent sitcom that there is probably like it's I like animated or otherwise, but now we're boosting Bob's Burgers. <laughs> so we should probably move on to True. news and rumors. True. All right. Uh, how should, okay. Hot off the presses, news and rumors at Movie Night Madness. Uh, I don't know how annoying that's going to be to listen to. That's amazing. Uh, I love it. Uh, yeah, I just had to try a thing and now I'm a little embarrassed about it. But uh, news and rumors. Um, we got two. Uh, the first is something we kicked around talking about last week, um, which is going to lead to a teachable moment for you listeners at home. But Robert Pattinson is nearing, nearing uh, official uh, casting as Batman in the, in the upcoming Batman solo movie. Um, many people have been reporting and then having to, uh, having to, um, uh, what the fuck's the word I want? Oopsies, having to go and do an oopsies because the people have been <laughs> yeah. reporting that, uh, that he's been cast and shit. Um, but it's, it, there's still some negotiations and I, and like, like there's still some red tape to go through before it's super official. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the way these things work is often when you hear about something like this, it'll be at a social event from somebody in the, in the group that wants to look like they have their thumb on the pulse of the media nation. Somebody will bring up Batman randomly and they'll be like, Oh, did you hear Rob Pattinson got, yeah, he's cast as Batman. I'm the guy who goes, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Nope. Not yet. That could fall through, like so many other big casting rumors have. Yeah. Um, especially with the D- the DC universe, they they really, I don't know. It, it drives a lot of engagement clicks and stuff from nerds. So I feel like websites and and media outlets jump the gun a lot with DC related news. They report rumors as facts often, and then people go around spreading that around like it's a fact, and then getting into arguments with people who know better. And it's just, it's really annoying when you actually follow this stuff, how easily people fall for, for half truths and rumors. Yeah. Um, so I watched as, uh, oh, recanted is the word I want. I watched this week as websites reported that Robert Pattinson had been cast as Batman and then had to recant it. 
Some of which, like I'm looking at Birth Movies Death, which is a website I like, and they had to update their article four times as more information came out. And they're usually, they're, they're pretty good about being like, nothing's for sure yet, but then they just kept updating it because, you know, one minute it'd be like, oh no, it's official, one of their sources would say. Then another source would say, no, no, it's not, not yet. And then that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's all but official. Um, their most recent article is, it's somewhat more official. Uh, so it's still not 100%. The latest update is that, and this comes from IGN, um, is that negotiations are still underway. Yeah. So he's in negotiations to play Batman, guys. So if you're going around being like, our Pat's in, our Pat's is Batman, negotiations. <laughs> it, it might fall through. Um, I'm shocked that he is willing to do it. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, it's. I'm not saying that he's a bad choice, but it seems like an odd choice for him as an actor to decide to sign on to the Batman franchise. Mm-hmm. It, has a, it has a habit of going either one way or another for anyone who plays Batman. Um, no doubt. I think it ruined Ben Affleck's life. Yeah, definitely. He was definitely more <laughs> like, sad after playing Batman than he was before. Yeah. And he was good. Like, he, like if in the right movies, like, if, if, if the... If the right creative people were handling those movies, because um, I think we can all agree at this point that no, like the Batman versus Superman Justice League were not good movies. Um, Zack Snyder was maybe the wrong person for the role, or maybe he didn't have enough people saying no. I don't know what the deal was there. Uh, but whatever the case was, those movies did not turn out well, um, no matter what they tried to do to fix them. And Affleck's not at fault. It's not his fault that yeah. it, it went that way. Uh, and it won't be Pattinson's fault if, if his Batman movie, if he, if he ends up in one, um, falls through or sucks too. It won't, you know what I mean? That's going to be, uh, down to the director probably and any studio meddling because they're famous for doing that. Yeah. Um, all I can think is that it must be one hell of a script, uh, for him to do it because he's been slowly but surely, uh, becoming, kind of like a big deal in in uh in indie movies like good time um what was that one that he was just in uh high life like he's in a lot of lost city of z like he's in a lot of movies where he's super good he's sometimes he's often the best thing about the movie that he's in and i keep calling him robert pattinson but it's pattinson (laughs) my bad i just yeah i i just think uh matt reeves must be his script must be really good for pattinson to be even interested yeah or he's just been talked into it by his agent, like this will be a really good career move for you. In which time, he, case I'll probably he doesn't like, come across get a new as agent. that type of type of dude, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does he? Does he do you like where he's like all about making career moves? Maybe if he's trying to move away from the indie movies, I don't know the ins and outs of like how actors do things, but maybe he, if yeah. he's wanting to get the bigger, more. Um, successful, let's say, films. Um, not successful, obviously, um, in terms of like he just indie wants films, to make, but like make some money. Yeah, like the the bigger dra- dramatic films. So maybe this is his way of getting his name back out there. Because I actually I hadn't really been following his career before this. So like for me, he just disappeared off the map after Twilight a little bit. I'd caught a couple of his films, um, like uh, the one where he's with. Was it Reese Witherspoon or something? Uh, like Elephants for Water or something like that? Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And a couple of his other ones. Um, but like Water for Elephants. That's it, that's it. Um, but yeah, I've never really followed his career. So for me, he's just been off the map for ages and now all of a sudden he's like popped back up well, again and they're like, oh, he's Batman. So it's kind he of He like, strikes me as like, a, he's like a serious actor though. Like I think he wants to be in stuff that's challenging 
that, you know, where he gets to be like an actor, like, you know, kind of like, kind of like, I don't know, uh, who's like a young actor who does mostly serious shit. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm blanking right now, but, uh, Finn um, Wolf, uh, Wolf, no, Wolf, Wolf, a child like, who knows what kind of actor he's going to turn out to be. Um, <laughs> But no, I don't. I just never. It never struck me. I think the spotlight got Robert Pattinson when he was young, and it and it like really kind of wrecked his life too. Like he is so passive, not even passive aggressive. He like flat out hates the Twilight movies. Yeah. I heard that his commentary track is legendary. Yeah. Because he just takes the piss the whole time. Um, I always wanted to listen to it. Yeah, me but, too. But uh, you know, he's he's an interesting dude. Uh, in interviews, he comes across a little bit of like an art school. Uh, snob kind of or not maybe not snob but he doesn't come across like uh, a particularly with it dude he comes across as a bit like lost in like kind of like a, a creative headspace maybe yeah um, you know like a little bit uh, esoteric or, or or something like that but uh, you know I, I'm just surprised he's be willing to do Batman so I keep thinking it must be the script uh, I'm glad they didn't cast Nicholas Holt who was also in the running yeah I just think he's I like Nicholas Holt uh, but I think he's wrong for that kind of part same. I, I like him, but yeah, I, I couldn't see him as Batman. Um, Robert Pattinson, I can probably just about see as Batman, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what exactly it is, is it's going to be about. Because I just, yeah, yeah, I hope they do the detective Batman because you and I have talked about yes. this before, but we just really haven't seen that version of Batman in the movies. It's always Ninja Batman or Gadget Batman or... Uh, Batman who shoots people like it's never Batman who like solves crimes using like detective skills. Uh, that, that that's yeah. the only well not the only maybe but that's like one of the key parts of the Batman uh, mythos that hasn't really been explored in movies yet. Yeah. So I'd like to see I'd like to see a little bit of that. That'd be cool. Uh, that might be maybe that's what drew him to the role or maybe the the Bruce Wayne stuff is very meaty or interesting for him. Maybe it's what always attracts actors to playing Batman is the duality of it, right? Yeah. You get to play two people, essentially. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. There's another rumor where Robin is going to be in this one. Ooh. And uh, it's been a while since we've had Robin in a Batman movie. Uh, the cheesy Joel Schumacher ones were like the last time. But yeah. Batman Forever is my favorite Batman movie <laughs> besides Lego Batman. And that's the one that had uh, Chris O'Donnell playing Robin and yeah. Val Kilmer playing Batman. I love that movie. That is a good one. Uh, Hey, I'm glad to hear you say that. People hate that one. Uh, yeah, I like that one. That's my favorite one. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, so th- we rewatched um, the Dark Knight trilogy this week. Like, Oh, nice. Just yeah. for the hell of it. Um, and we actually forgot that we loved them so much. We actually really like the Dark Knight trilogy. And I forgot that they set up at the end of the third one, at the end of um, Dark Knight Rises, they set up the whole Robin thing. Sort of, yeah, yeah. With like, here's my Batcave, have at it kind of thing. And then obviously the, the film ends so you, and it's never going to be like a fourth one after that. So you don't know where it's going to go. But they kind of opened it up a little bit for Robin to come back there. And then obviously it was only ever a trilogy. So, yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I hope it stays that way. Like, I hope they don't they yeah. don't all see dollar signs and try to make uh, a fourth Batman movie in that continuity. Yeah, um, same. I'm of the opinion that the Dark Knight movies are, are just vastly overrated. Um, but I think they work best as a trilogy. I don't go for this whole idea that like Dark Knight Rises sucks and Dark Knight is good and Batman Begins is good. I think Batman yeah. Begins is the, we- is the weakest of the three uh, on its own. And yeah. I think Dark Knight, the Dark Knight is one of the most overrated movies of all time. Uh, 
and Dark Knight Rises is underrated. <laughs> Not as much as Dark Knight is overrated. Yeah. Dark Knight Rises has a lot of problems, but it's underrated because it's the only movie, like, or it's the only part of the, like, the, you need it because the rest of the movie, the whole ethos, the whole philosophy, the whole political and, and philosophical point that Chris Nolan is trying to make, as misguided and right-wing as it is, that he's trying to make with these movies, uh, it doesn't work. It doesn't have any merit or, or any in, internal logic without Dark Knight Rises. Like, he was always trying to tell a story in three parts, I think. Yeah. And you need that third part to tie it all together. I don't find the trilogy satisfying, these individual movies in, in the trilogy satisfying on their own on that level um, without the third one. That's yeah. always been, like, my take on it. Like, I, 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 the third one forced me to reevaluate the Dark Knight uh, and be a little bit more fair to it than I had been before that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I've, I've always, <laughs> so, I've always really enjoyed them, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you're, I'm, I'm in the minority, I'm in the minority here. Like we've talked about this before and I like, nobody agrees with me. I'm like the one person in the world that thinks the dark Knight is overrated. Uh, very, very, <laughs> very few people agree with me about that. The Dark Knight is the, the, those movies are practically a Bible for a whole generation of like really disgruntled young men who are massive, massive, massive hard on fans for Batman because of those movies. It made them feel seen. Like, it made them feel like they were taken seriously. Uh, and it was part of the cultural moment where nerd shit started taking everything over. So, you know, I kind of, it's, I, I think they're canonically important. Like, uh, anthropologists, if we make it, you know, a few decades from now, we'll look back on media studies nowadays and kind of look at that and be like, okay, this was part of the, like, canonical cultural moment that that changed things from being like the x-men movies and sam raimi's spider-man movies <laughs> to like making it possible for there to be uh comic book superhero movies across a wide variety of genres a wide variety of tones etc so they almost needed to happen is kind of what i'm trying to say um and they're culturally relevant even if i think they're overrated yeah. but like uh <laughs> yeah but anyway robert robert pattinson's casting is more on the news side of news and rumors uh, yeah. On the rumor side, strictly speaking, rumor side, and this is relevant to our review this week, uh, of the people that have been announced as possibly being in the cast for the MCU's Eternals movie, um, the latest is Keanu Reeves. Woohoo! Yeah, so there's a rumor that they're looking at him. Um, I was saying to Sam earlier that the, the, the other thing about this, the teachable moment and all this for, for this kind of thing is people in Hollywood take meetings all the time. Sometimes it's a professional courtesy. Other times they're interested in a role or they're interested in working with certain actors or directors. That doesn't necessarily mean like just because somebody's looking presumably or reportedly being looked at for a part doesn't mean that the actor's actually interested in that part. Uh, so, you know, it's people shouldn't be going around being like, did you hear Keanu Reeves is going to be in the MCU until it actually happens. Yeah. Right. That said, uh, the MCU is like the, the Disney Marvel is showing like a, a really amazing propensity for getting very unlikely and very hot ticket actors and even venerable, like veteran actors who are like well-regarded and have a lot of pedigree. They've been able to get these people to be in their movies. So if they want Keanu Reeves, I feel like they'll get them. Yeah. Um, like, they got Cate Blanchett for fuck's sake, you know? Yeah. Like, like I still am in awe that Cate Blanchett was in an MCU movie. Like, I, like you know? So yeah. uh, there's lots of that kind of thing. So I think Keanu Reeves is, is, is an interesting thing. But in that cast, I'm actually super interested that in, in uh, Angelina Jolie mm. doing yeah. that. Like, because she's supposed to be the, the lead. And then Kumail uh, Nanjiani is going to be in it, too, <laughs> apparently. Uh, and, um, that's awesome. You know, like he's in, he's, he's on the edge of being overexposed right yeah. now though. 
Uh, I think he's in maybe too much stuff. Uh, so hopefully he walks it back a little bit before he Seth Rogan's himself, uh, you know, or, yeah. or Jonah Hill's himself, you know, like, uh, there's a thing where there's like a, there's like a critical mass that comedic actors can reach where they're just in too much stuff and people get tired of them. And I don't want that to happen to him cause he's awesome. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> uh, even Rob Stark, actually, uh, the guy who played him, Richard Madden is rumored to be in this one. So there's quite a, ca- quite a rumored cast going on. Yeah. Uh, Certainly people that so, sound like their first choice that they just yeah. want to like stick the, the feelers out and see if they can get them in the film before they move on to their second choices. Totally. And hopefully they get some of these people because it sounds like a very interesting cast. Like yeah. you almost have like a, a mini Avengers right there of interesting actors. Yeah, totally. So uh, what do you say? Done for news and rumors this week? Sounds good. All right. So let's move on to the main event. <laughs> Yay. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. 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 Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't notice until, like, like, way after seeing it, that, that tattoo on that ballerina's neck. I kept looking at it, trying to read it when I was watching the movie, because there's like the, the scenes in that, in that uh, theater where the ballerinas, you know, anybody, yeah. well, we're going to, we're going to spoil this movie. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> I hope you're, if you're listening to this, I hope you remember that scene. So she's got, the tattoo says Parabellum. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't, there's like little bits of little, little bits of Parabellum everywhere. It's not just some random word, of course. And it's not just the quote that Ian McShane has uh, where we, or we're like, oh, prepare for war. Uh-huh. Parabellum. Okay. Yeah. Um, but th- I bring this up not just to, to, to rant or, or ramble about it. Um, it's actually relevant, I think, to like what I, I, I want to start with this movie's biggest flaw. Um, I loved it, but uh, none of the John Wick movies are really perfect. Like they're, they're all very perfect when it comes to being action movies with a bit of a brain. Uh, they're all really well done world building wise. But I mean, they're not, they're not perfect transcendental movies necessarily. Um, this one's biggest issue, though, is that it feels like a middle chapter. It feels like pieces being moved around for a finale or for the next chapter. And I feel like they kind of hinted at that by calling it Parabellum in the first place. Because yeah. if this is preparing for war, then John Wick Chapter 4, which has already been announced uh, and greenlit, so that's not a rumor, that's news. We're getting a fourth one. Um, that, that movie is going to be the war part of it, I guess, right? But I yeah. expected this one to be that. Yeah, me too. So, like, that was my, the thing that disappointed me a little bit was just that it did feel like a middle chapter. Somehow John Wick Chapter 2 didn't feel like a middle chapter, even though it technically is one. Um, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, it had its own internal story that didn't depend as much on other stories yet to be told. Whereas this one, it feels like you're only getting, like, you know, half the story. Yeah. Right? Oh, I kind of figured that going into it that it was going to be kind of like a like a half story kind of like a setup film because yeah um before i went to see it i saw a quote from ian mcshane saying um that the john wick series could potentially go on for at least 10 films like 10 years <laughs> yeah. yeah so it could be going on for a really long time so i was like well they're not going to resolve it in this film then if he's saying that so it, when they didn't resolve it i was kind of like i was kind of like okay yeah that makes sense um yeah yeah, if you're ready for that, yeah. I don't think it would, it would feel disappointing really at all. Like, I, I, that's one of those things where it's like uh, knowing a little bit about the movie before you go into it might be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say that this is my favorite out of the John Wick series, but I still enjoyed it. Which um, one is? 
I'm, I've got a really soft spot for the first film. Like, oh, yeah, that, yeah. that first, like, I loved his car. I loved the, the grief process. I loved the puppy until they killed it. Like, that all <laughs> made sense to me. Like, that introduction of the character of, like, uh, like every single time someone mentioned his name in that film and the, and the guy, like, the kid um, who's from Game of Thrones, uh, Alfie... Uh, Alan. Alan. Alfie yeah. Allen, yeah. When every time he was just like, I just wanted his car, or like it was only a dog or something like that, and everyone was just like, it was John Wick's yeah, car you, and you dog, fucking idiot, you fucking <laughs> moron. Like every mm-hmm. time I was just like, yeah, you're an idiot. And like now people keep wanting to try and mess with him. Like it kind of it's kind of lost that little bit of an edge for me now that everyone's like, oh, John Wick's open, I can go after him. Like, well, why? yeah, I mean, you're just watching him roll fools all the time too. Like yeah. he's like unfucking stoppable, right? Um, yeah. But that's the satisfying. Like, to me, like, the action scenes aren't, like, the action... Okay, so there's all different kinds of action scenes, all different kinds of storytelling you can do with violence. Um, One of the common ones, since Die Hard, is to put a person in a situation where, like, they're really at risk. They're not super skilled. They're not super... They have no superpowers. They have no special equipment. They're just in a really dangerous situation. And there's a satisfaction in seeing them get hurt and, and almost die, but still overcome. Yeah. And win the day. Horror movies that rely on a third act twist where the heroes flip the tables on the villains, you do this really well. Uh, yeah. You know, Green Room has this element, uh, Alexandra Aja's, uh, uh, what the fuck, uh, Hills of Eyes, the Hills yeah. of Eyes remake from 2006. That's got one of the best versions of this that I can remember in a, in a horror movie. But that's that's like a, a, a kind of satisfaction you get from action that's possible. The other, there's another kind though that you get from John Wick where it's more about puzzles. It's like John Wick is in a situation. These are the elements of the situation. You got John Wick, he's wounded. He's got a bulletproof jacket. He's got one gun with like one clip of bullets and he's got 18 guys coming to kill him. How is this going to play out? Yeah. And, and like, because the movie has, the movies have to keep escalating. Um, you start getting really crazy scenarios, like in this one, motorbikes and swords or uh, dogs. Let's throw another person that's on John Wick's side and it's just as deadly as he is with yeah. some dogs against like 800 fucking guys. Yeah. And like, you know, and, and then the satisfaction is in seeing how they, the, sort of the physical communication of how they move and think and do things in an action sequence. Um, yeah. They're so well-tuned, they're so well thought out that you can literally see like Keanu Reeves thinking as he's yeah. moving around, even though like the action is so quick and so well done and fluid that you, you're mostly like just caught up in like the spectacle of it. That's the best thing about these movies. I think is that they, they really do feel like the violence isn't just violence. Yeah. Um, which is one of the key parts of the argument that I had about this movie. Um, my friend felt that, uh, the first two, I, I, it was, it's been a while now since we, we had the argument. So I'm going to try to, I, I hope I don't get it wrong. You can tell me if I do, if you're listening to this, but I think the argument was more like in the other movies, it was understandable who John Wick was and his killings of other people were like, sort of like, you know, you could, you could sort of see those other people as humans and they're it was sort of justifiable in a way. Uh, but in this one, it's kind of just like John Wick tuning people up. He's just like killing people and it's just like wanton destruction. Maybe John yeah. Wick isn't such a good guy. And I kind of think that's like an interesting angle to like, like I said, this is one of those good movie arguments that made me really think about the movie more um, yeah. and what it might be trying to say about morality. Um, but there is, I think there is a sense to which in this world of John Wick, where it's not the real world, really it's heightened. Um, life is sort of cheap, uh, almost like a Japanese, um, samurai movie 
where people yeah. die like really quickly and all the time and it's like kind of like life is cheap like uh death is like imminent it's everywhere and it's, it's like one of those things <clears throat> you're not really meant to think about the wife and kids that these goons leave behind you know what i mean yeah it's not that kind of a story um, so you can kind of enjoy the spectacle of the violence, the cleverness with which it's created. Uh, John Wick's art form is violence. Um, you can kind of enjoy it on all those levels as long as you can put aside this idea that these are like humans being killed and like, yeah, you know what I mean? And, but I never really thought about that issue, uh, until that conversation. And it made me think like, well, how does this movie kind of train the viewer to not think about those things? Yeah. Be interested I, to hear what you think about this issue. Yeah, I mean, when the in the my kind of view of the film so far is the first two films he was kind of killing for necessity, like he was killing to survive, and he thought that he had a goal at the end of it, which was he was going to go back to his life, and you know people were going to leave him alone because he's John Wick and he's just murdered hundreds of people. But in the third film, it kind of feels like he's kind of he's kind of switched now in that. He's really tired. He's been on the run for like two weeks now where he's been fighting for his life every day. He hasn't been able to like get any quality rest or anything. Because you've got to remember that these films are all set within like a week of each yeah. other. Yeah. But it kind of feels like he's kind of con past the point of like killing for necessity now. He's kind of doing it out of spite. Like <laughs> he's kind of like, I'm not going to die. Like you guys can keep coming, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to give you the satisfaction of killing me. Like he could die. And I'm fairly certain he probably wants to a little bit on the inside. Cause he's sick of like dealing with these people now, but he's kind of got it into his head now. And that's the way that the film came across to me. This third one was that he's angry now. Like, he, he was like getting a little bit of a temper because people wouldn't leave him the fuck alone. And then the fourth one, he's he's going like, like full dragon, full Dragon Ball Z, like whatever they <laughs> fucking do with their hands. Super uh, Saiyan. Super Saiyan, yeah. Like he's yeah. Super Saiyan John Wick in the fourth one because you know Winston's fucking throwing him off a building. Which oh is yeah. Another thing that I want to bring yeah. up in a little. Yeah, bit, I want to talk about that a little bit later too. Yeah, <laughs> but like, yeah, this third one, it, it kind of felt a little bit vengeful to me yeah i mean especially at the end when he's like in the with the bowery king and they're like what are we gonna do now and it's like okay well now these guys they're gonna declare war on everyone else yeah you know what i mean um i think that you bring up interesting points though about why john wick does what john wick does and this was like one of the the focal points of the argument that i was having with uh, my friend and and um i feel like in the first movie it's not really about revenge it's just like it kind of is, but it's also about it's also about like um, how I think the whole trilogy so far is about obligation and and like what obligations you choose and how they're organized. So like there's a lot of oaths. There's a lot of like people making promises to each other, people owing yeah. to each other. Like the third movie really talks about this a lot. Almost all the dialogue is about fealty and oaths and like questioning loyalty to this like very feudal kind of enterprise that is the high table like it's very much like a like a like a pyramid you know like the high tables there and then above them is the elder who we meet in this movie and then below yeah. them are, is the under table all these people that are kind of serving the table and their their motto is um i will serve or i have served i will serve so it's all about oaths and so john wick in the first movie he all the oaths all the old rules all the deals he's made to get out and all the things that, that he's done to get him to that point all get nullified 
by what happens to his dog and him. Him being attacked, his car being stolen. He gets fucked with beyond the, like, code that everybody in this world is supposed to live by. So he retaliates and kind of brings order back to things, right? And then in the second movie, that that same sense of fairness that, that occupies, I think, his whole character is used against him by the dude, um, the Italian guy whose name I can't remember, who comes and uses one of his own oaths against him. So the question yes. is, so John, are you, what are you more loyal to? This idea that you need to get out because your wife wouldn't like this person that you are or the blood oath you swore to me, right? So yeah. John chooses the blood oath. He has to. It, it obligates him, right? Because of his whole yeah. code. And then uh, in the end though, <clears throat> when the guy pushes him too far and manipulates him and, and sort of subverts the, the, the moral sanctity that's supposed to govern all of this, because it is really just a facade. There is no mor- morality with the high table. The code is, is fake. It's like yeah. the gangster code, right? And the omerta and all that, all those like these honorific rituals that, that criminals like uh, ra- wrap themselves in almost mythologically uh, or mythically. Um, it's all a sham, really. It's all just really actually about power and manipulation. So when John gets becomes the victim of that, he kills the dude and he breaks all the rules again, right? Yeah. And in a sense, we're still with him because he's still bringing order to a, a basically moral universe. Now, my friend's argument was in the third movie, there's so many heel-face turns where the who's about what, like what people are doing and why they're doing it, uh, is so difficult to follow because it's a little bit more convoluted that it kind of lo- lost him a little bit. He was like, I don't know if John Wick is a good dude. Like, I don't know if I should be kind of, this guy should be really be the hero of the story or, or whatever. Like, and, and I was kind of yeah. like, yeah, okay, I can kind of see that. Because the third movie uh, takes what was a theme in the first two and literalizes it. It dramatizes it. The characters yeah. talk about it constantly. You know, his whole thing, his whole escape plan to get to Morocco is predicated on whether or not people that owe him something will choose those those obligations over their yeah. obligations to this whole system that they're in. So uh, yeah. he goes to the theater and he has his ticket and he has a, the, the, he's owed a debt by, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, those, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, those Russian gypsies, uh, the, the Russo-Romani, they owe him something because he's part of some kind of tribal heritage um, that I, I hope we get to explore in future movies. Uh, they yeah. own something and it's a, it's closer to them. It's a stronger, higher order obligation than the obligation of the high table. So they yeah. choose to help him, even though it puts him at odds with this larger system. And I think the movie's arguing that generally speaking, that's what people do. People choose family. Yeah. They choose love. They choose uh, interpersonal debt and interpersonal obligation and loyalty versus loyalty to an abstract governing body. And that's sort of the whole, I know that's a bit, high-minded for a, an action movie that's really about how many times, you know, Keanu Reeves shoots dudes in the head, but it's yeah. all in there. And it's what makes these movies so special is this yeah. stuff, I think. And like, I ne- it's hard to find an action movie that has a complicated and coherent moral philosophy. And yeah. the John Wick movies have that. And not only are they, they're not just presenting you a philosophy, which is part of my problem with the Dark Knight movies to bring those up, is that they're didactic. Uh, Chris Nolan is telling you about his worldview with those movies. He's arguing yeah. and making a statement. Uh, John Wick seems to be kind of in dialogue with itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's testing these ideas. It's, it's, it's countering them with one character while reinforcing them with another one. And it's constantly putting these ideas of loyalty and obligation and old school honor. It's kind of doing this all, putting it all uh, through a grinder and seeing what comes out the other end, right? 
Yeah. Is it possible to really have samurai or are samurai just tools of the system? Like, what is that, you know? And I think that's really fascinating and postmodern and in, in, in that chef's kiss way that I love. Yeah. I did enjoy moving away from, from everything you just said because I, <laughs> I, I don't think I have yeah. anything else that I that, can that's add to okay. that succinctly. That was um, a long speech. <laughs> I did enjoy the fact that everyone in New York appeared to be an assassin. Like you literally can't walk down the street in New York without there being an assassin like right next to you. That did make me laugh in the cinema a little bit. Um, But I do actually have a a John Wick point, which I'd I'd forgotten. And I said the assassin thing just until I remembered what it was I wanted to say. Um, But the John Wick of this film is truly desperate, I think. Hmm. And I think that's why he goes as far as he does with the blood oaths, because I don't think he in the set in the first film, he is he's grief stricken and this and people and his car was stolen and his dog was killed and going after them was like his release for that. Like that was like, he can go back to something he knew to help him get some closure. I suppose, I suppose on on, on the whole situation, the second film he wanted out, but someone came back and was like, here's an oath that you swore. You have to do this for me or I'm going to kill you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So he was kind of like, Oh, I suppose I'll go do it because like, I have to. And then everything went to shit. And in this film, like, he's just desperate. He's truly desperate. And whereas before he wouldn't have wanted to use that ticket, he wouldn't have wanted, I don't think, to put that family that he had in danger with the high table. Or Holly Berry's character, yeah. Yeah, he wouldn't have wanted to put them in that position where he was going to endanger their lives and potentially their children and and so on and so forth. But now he's truly desperate because... He just wants to be left alone. And the only way that he can be left alone is if he gets rid of the high table. Now, he's kind of... that. His whole arch in this film, I think, is him realizing that the only way he's ever going to have peace is if the high table's no longer there and there's no one there kind of, like, calling the shots for him. Yeah, I think that's where he is at the, at the end. Um, it's I think what's interesting to me about this, and this is another thing that came up in the argument, because, like my friend was didn't like this part because like it's almost like um so john wick finds the elder in the in the desert you know he goes to see him to try to get the the uh price on his head removed and we find out through john wick's own admission that the reason why he's been doing all this because in the second movie they toy with the idea that the guy the italian dude says you know you santini i think or santori his name was uh he's like you're addicted to vengeance you know if you can't Like your honor is so over, overdeveloped that you like have to like go to these great lengths to like, you know, appease your own sense of, of, of moral justice, uh, which is sort of a a selfish and, uh, almost like a narcissistic way, way of dealing with the world anyway. Um, in this one, we find out John Wick wants to live desperately. He is desperate and he wants to live. And, and to me, it's like, why do you want to live, man? Like the love of your life is gone. All these people want to kill you. Like, yeah. like it, it would, it surprised me that he's not suicidal. So I didn't know that I was wondering this until he talks to the dude and the dude asks him, you know, like what, like, like, what is this all about? And John is like, I want to live so I can remember because if I yeah. die, my wife's memory dies. The best part of my life dies. And this memory, even though I have to fight like hell to keep it. Um, is worth it. It's worth anything to him. So he swears fealty. He, he creates another obligation, another bound, uh, of obligation to the, to the high table all over again. Like he's going to go back to serving them. He's going to go back to doing what they want because the choice is now no longer about getting out and being left alone. It's about, uh, being able to live. 
right? At all. Yeah. And so to live, he has to go back to being an assassin. So he briefly, he briefly does that. And then, you know, he goes to kill uh, Winston. Um, and he's like, you know, he struggled with it for a second, but John's John, so he's, you know, he's going to go do it. And then Winston turns on, turns it around on him again and says, hey, you should be the person your wife would have wanted you to be, not... Yeah. Just do anything to keep her memory alive. What do you, you know what I mean? And then that, yeah. of course, convinces John because John doesn't really want to kill his friends. He doesn't really want to fuck them over. It's like you said. I don't think normally he would have done any of that stuff. Um, but what's interesting about these movies is that no one is friends. Sophia doesn't like John and doesn't like yeah. him even more when he, when, when he leaves. And I respected the movie for that. Um, yeah. And I respected the movie for having Halle Berry be in it for as long as she needed to be. And that's it. Uh, you yeah. know, she's part of this world, but... John does a thing and then fucks her over and then he leaves and she spits in his face and that's that, you know? I respected yeah. the hell out of that choice. But um, John does want real connections. He wouldn't have got married and left a life if that wasn't the case. So when yeah. Winston presents him, dangles that in front of his face, like, we're friends, John. Uh, don't kill me. Let's kill these other assholes together. Of course John goes for it, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I, I love that kind of because this is a world where friendship isn't isn't like a thing that any of these people can really it's a luxury they can't afford because it's all about these like what if you have to kill your friend because your friend fucked up or something like that like it's all very like disloyal even while they talk about loyalty and love and like you know fealty they have no love right yeah there's no soul in this there's no like you know it's very cold in a way and uh, i don't think at heart john's really like that so it's a struggle kind of but keanu reeves is is pretty stoic at the best of times and in these movies he's particularly stoic so there's you know his acting is so physical you can't you don't really get to see the gears in his head turning so it's i don't know if you can always i might be reaching for some of this you know what i mean it might be more like <laughs> yeah. me interpreting themes less than like seeing what's really going on in, a, in an actor's head as they like react to something yeah. in a split second you know yeah i find it interesting that your friend says that um he didn't know whether John Wick was a good person at the end of the third film because technically he's never been a good person. That's he what isn't I think. By definition, a good person. He's an awful person. He's an assassin. He kills people for money and just because he gets told to do it. And then he goes and kills assassins because they've done a job and they need to die now. And he, he does that without feeling, without remorse, without without second guessing himself, usually. Yeah. Until now. Until he until he supposedly found love and and became a human, which yeah. you know is, is kind of believable. But at the same time, I've always had this little niggling thought at the back of my head, which is if someone can kill so remorselessly and so quickly without second thought, are they really truly capable of experiencing love in such a human way? That is a that is the question that I have in in the underneath of these films. As much as I enjoy them, I whether he could love as truly as he did his wife. Um, is another question for me, but that's well, more of a psychological question than anything else. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that is at the heart, I think, of what these movies are kind of about uh, philosophically too, um, and psychologically for sure, because these are inextricably, inextricably linked domains. So like, yeah. to me, uh, like John might not be capable of love in a human way, but he at least got to see a, a glimpse of it, right? So to yeah. me, these movies are really about can John Wick be human or not? Um, yeah. if, if everything is abstracted... This world that he grew up in and he's always known, it's easy for him to slide back into like viewing life as cheap and honor and obligation as being absolute, like much more important ideals than the sanctity of human life. Like none of the characters in John Wick are, are humanists. 
they don't think humans matter much. So they, they, they're willing to kill because who cares, right? Like, uh, yeah. it's like, like in that sense, it's very much like a, a, like a very much like Japanese cinema where like body counts would be huge because there are these periods in Japanese history that are exaggerated for movies where life really was super cheap. Like, like you just didn't like, they didn't have humanism. So they didn't think of every life as being precious. Some lives are more important than others. Right. Yeah. And all lives had to serve some kind of greater uh, purpose. And if they violate that, then their, their lives are forfeit. And that's sort of how John Wick's world works. He can kill anybody who's in the life because being in the life is basically agreeing to that state of affairs. And the movie's yeah. inviting the audience on a, on a tertiary level to buy into that kind of a universe just so we can like put aside the idea that like, you know, criminality doesn't really work this way. Uh, it's almost like John Wick takes place in a world where all criminals in the world agree to follow the same set of rules. But then, of course, yeah. it doesn't really work. Like, they don't really follow the same set of rules. There are, like, these, like, power plays and, and people cheating each other and not really, you know, finding loopholes. And that's kind of all yeah. very cool because it's kind of just a grandiose, mythical um, version of, of the way the world works as we recognize it anyway. You know, the corruption of power, the accumulation of power, the way people use uh, or leverage obligation, and the way some people try really hard to... Uh, not do those things to not manipulate others and so on so like there's interesting things going on in it that that really do make it a kind of almost like it's not a redemption story in the normal moral sense where can john redeem all the bad things that john has done it's more like can john wick redeem his humanity if his wife and the dog represents his humanity that he can put aside or pick back up again depending on circumstances that the movies seem to be about whether he can, whether he really has that and whether it matters to him and whether he can get it back if it was ever there in the first place. So it's really yeah. interesting. And I wonder because his wife was fridged in the classic sense, you know, like she dies off screen and you know, you don't really get to see what he was really like with her. It's all kind of abstract. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if, um, if in the future movies, if John moves towards uh, bonds with people like the Bowery King that aren't based on this like insane code, you know? Yeah. Uh, so the very, like, it's very interesting to see where things are going to go because I really thought I want to talk about Winston's heel face turn because I, that part bothered me a lot too. Yes, I agree. I don't like that. Ian McShane's character is a bad guy now. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, I, <laughs> yeah. I wanted him to legit him and, uh, and, um, is it Cedric? Oh, Lance Reddick. I wanted him and Lance Reddick's characters to stick, you know, I love that they were, they had a soft spot for John and like, you know, like they, they felt like they had a, 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 they were bonded to John in a way that transcended like a real friendship that transcended all these rules and games that all these people are playing all the time. I really yeah. felt like that was sort of the point was that, you know, they, they have loyalty to John that has nothing to do with the high table or this code of assassins or the continental. And that's going to be a thing that's rewarded and explored as like, you know, uh, maybe a better, a better kind of bond, a better kind of obligation than, you know, swearing allegiance to a bunch of murdering criminals who like, you know, <laughs> yeah. will liquidate your whole family if you put the foot wrong. Um, uh, you know, so I thought that would, that would hold true, but it doesn't. Yeah. He throws them off a fucking building. And while I think Winston knows John is alive, uh, and that might be part of his, checkers you know that he's playing he's playing like fifth dimensional chess or whatever uh yeah 
I, I think that John, he's not no loyalty to John. I think Winston wants to destroy the high table and take its place. I think that's his end game. Um, yeah. So he's probably the real villain of the, of the, of the story, you know? I, I would agree with that, yeah. Yeah. I, I would think that was where he was taking it. And that was surprising. And, and so, so I, I think they probably rolled the dice on whether the audience would go along with them for that. Because I feel like Ian McShane is very well liked in these movies. Like, uh, I love Winston, you know, like it's great to see yeah. him. And, I, and having him be bad is a hard, a hard ask. You know? Yeah. I think he's just been playing a really long game. Like yeah, from I agree. the start he's been supporting John because he knows how good John is at his job, essentially. And John is and easy he, to manipulate. Yeah. And he's yeah. And he had a purpose at that point and he kinda saw an in. He was like this Winston was like, This is my long term plan. This is where I wanna get to. This has happened to John Wick. It's the perfect time. Like, this is my in now. Like, let's right. be friends with him. Let's give him everything that he needs. Let's make it out like I'm always going to be there to support him. Let's draw him into this war where, uh, you know, in the in the hotel scene when the high table is coming for them, half of me, I don't think, expected them to survive it. I don't right. think... I don't think Winston kind of expect them to do as well as they did. Like he knows John's good and he knows that, um, he's gambling, he's, you know? Yeah. yeah. He's like, is he either going to go one way or the other one way? I'm going to die. The other way I've gotten in to, yeah. to, to further my plan. And I think because he got so far and he hadn't really thought about John surviving when he got to the roof and was like, where are we going to take it from here? I think him pulling the gun on John and shooting him was literally a very last minute decision. Like, this is what has to happen. Like, I have to do this. There is I didn't literally get that no other option here. I, th I got I think the sense that he had that planned out because of the gun. Um, <clears throat> and uh, when Lance Reddick comes up to him afterward and is like, you know, or before that, he's like, are we go? Are we a go? You think it means something different. You think it means, are we going to, you know, fight the high table? But it actually means, are we going to, uh, is everything in motion for us to get back in, in with the high table and give up yeah. John? And I, I, I felt like it was more part of the plan that if they did, like, I think you're right that he's like gambling on their survival, but if they survive, he's always going to betray John, you know? Yeah. Um, so basically it's all about like, in a, in a very real sense that this movie is, these movies are kind of like the matrix in the sense that like, um, John is a pawn that thinks he's a knight and he's yeah. slowly realizing that everybody else thinks and treats him like a pawn and he's going to wake up to the fact that he's on, on a chessboard at all. You know, uh, just like Neo wakes up to the real world and finds the rules he thought governed everything are completely different. I think that's John's journey, too. It's like a Plato's cave thing where he's going yeah. to wake up to what's re the real system that's controlling everything in a, in a sense. Right. And uh, yeah. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic and, and, and metaphysical or as uh, sci fi as The Matrix, obviously. But it is yeah. symbolically similar. Right. And we have those yeah. kinds of awaken awakenings or we have chances to have those kinds of awakenings all throughout our lives. We also often convince ourselves that we've had a special awakening, like incels think they've had a special awakening, uh, when really it's just choosing a narrative, right? Um, but I, I really do think like the, the, the idea is that John is, is, is a easily manipulated pawn. He's a game piece, you know? Yeah. Um, and people treat him that way, and, and he is easy to manipulate, especially when he thinks that there's loyalty involved, because he's a very loyal yeah. guy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think Ian McShane always intends to, to, to sacrifice him, but again, it's like if he doesn't die falling off the roof, because there's no way you can you can there's no way he would be there's no way that he could predict that John Wick would live from that. No. That's like a crazy thing to survive. 
Uh, if John Wick wasn't John Wick, he wouldn't have survived that, right? Uh, no, that's another big, big. Not. That's another bit of a dice roll that the filmmakers made on the audience going with that. Like, really, he fell off that roof and still lived, you know? Um, yeah, the, only the way amount they of things can, he hit on the yeah, way down as well. Well, that's, that broke his fall, right? So the only way they can make us believe that, that, that he survives that is by really showing in bone-crushing detail like how that fall <laughs> goes, right? But yeah, I don't think any, there's any way uh, Winston could have planned that. So again, he's gambling. I think he's, he's got a plan either way. And one of the hints in the movie that I thought was really cool that he's got a big picture in mind is when you see him in his office, there's this table and there's these, all these little pieces on the table that sort of look like chess pieces, but they have these little special symbols on them. I think those are um, all the different clans and organizations that are involved in, the, in yeah. this like, criminal world. And I think he is. I think it's a hint that he is playing some kind of grand game and trying. he's got an agenda, he's got a, 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 some kind of power he's trying to attain. Uh, he's not happy just being the continental guy. He wants to. He wants the whole the whole enchilada. Um, yeah. At least I think, or he wants to destroy it, and it'll turn out that uh, him and John will see each other again, and maybe they'll come to some other some new understanding, and it won't actually end in blood. You know, it's hard to say. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think it's cool that these the movie has these kinds of things in it, even though it was jarring for me that Winston is a bad guy now. Yeah. No, it is very jarring. I didn't expect it. Yeah. Um, poor I'm John. Not sure I poor could John. Get behind it. But poor yeah, John. Poor John. Yeah. I mean, kind of sort poor of. John, but at the same time, yeah. He well, he's does he deserve yeah. it? Probably. Oh yeah, I think that's part. Of, I think that's part of the point too. Karma is an interesting thing to bring into this because the idea of karma is really isn't really just what goes around comes around like some kind of like cosmic fairness scale. Karma also means like the way things need to be. Like karma is also about like accepting. Uh, sort of fatalistic um, disposition towards life. Like, you yeah. know, John's karma is to be manipulated and, you know, it doesn't mean it's morally just what's happening to him or, or some kind of balancing thing. It's more just like circumstances are the universe working themselves out and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, like, whine about it, you know? You kind of just accept your karma and try to move on. But, like, the whole idea of Buddhism or one of the whole ideas about Buddhism is breaking the karmic cycle, getting out of this infinite cycle of death and rebirth and suffering. Um, and the only way for John to do that in the metaphorical language of these movies is for him to, to destroy this whole, this whole system or to leave it, right? Yeah. And, and maybe the idea of him finding love and, and getting out of the life but then getting sucked back into it, maybe the suggestion that that's, that's going to make in the end is that you can't, going, getting out isn't enough. The system exists yeah. still. You have to go back and destroy it. You, if, you're, if you're doing Plato's Cave, you have to go back and tell the people that they're being lied to. If you're doing The Matrix, you have to go back into The Matrix and free other minds, you know? You can't just get out yourself, like, Cypher, eat your steak and enjoy, like, whatever, you know? Or yeah. I guess not, like, Cypher, because uh, Cypher goes back in or whatever. I'm mixing my metaphors, <laughs> but you, you get the idea. Like, you can't, it's not enough to just go hang out somewhere. And I mean, this has, like, economic th themes, too, if you want to really reach... Uh, the idea that, you know, it's not enough to get yours and then leave the rest of the world behind. You have to give back in some way, you know? Yeah. John has a civic responsibility to destroy, to destroy the high table. <laughs> that, could be, <laughs> that could be what I'm saying here. And I mean, I, I do think the movie supports um, this, uh, this analysis, uh, which again, like I, you couldn't talk this way about like most action movies. They no. just would not support, like, they, they just don't, they're not, they don't have the integrity as, as a story uh, or a world to support this kind of analysis, you know? Yeah. 
And that's no, fine because they're not necessarily about that. Like, but John Wick kind of is, you know. Yeah. So, so I, I love this one. Uh, I love all of them, but I did, I, I, yeah, I I found it hard to, to, to get behind Winston turning bad. I did find the, the moving pieces around thing a little bit jarring. I thought that, uh, the, the scene in Morocco is as cool as that gunfight was in Morocco. My other complaint was that it goes on a bit too long. The geography of the area they're in gets kind of lost. It doesn't feel like I can't, I don't understand why they're killing all these people. Like eventually it feels like they're not even trying to escape anymore. They're just trying to wipe all these people out. And the fact that they have a bunch of people wearing, and they're doing this because of their stunt teams. There's two reasons why a lot of the time when you see John killing people, uh, they're, they're wearing some kind of head covering. There's two reasons why you do that. One is to dehumanize them so that the audience isn't sitting there thinking that guy just died and he was terrified. Wait a minute. Yeah. You know, there's something, (laughs) there's something wrong with killing people. I'm watching a movie that glorifies violence. Fuck, you know, like they want you to, to stay with the, the, the vert, like, you know, cause it's heightened. It's not real violence. It's like, you know, there's a whole idea here that there, we can't hold this to the same standards as our moral universe that we actually live in. We all know it's fantasy, right? But, um, it helps that fantasy along to cover everybody's faces. But the other reason they do it is so they can keep using the same stunt team over and over again. <laughs> and nobody goes, yeah. wait a minute. Didn't, the, didn't that guy that just got killed in Morocco, didn't he get killed earlier? Like, you know, in, in another scene, you know, like you can't, it's another reason. It's a practical reason to do that. Um, having said that, there is something a little bit tone deaf about having a scene in a, in a, in Morocco, which, you know, Morocco isn't Saudi Arabia, but having a scene in Morocco with a bunch of dudes wearing desert headscarves getting killed, you know, by a white yeah. dude. And, you know, <laughs> I'm sure that's cathartic for some Americans in the audience in some fucking way. Um, but yeah. I mean, it, it, it's almost cartoonish. And all you had to do was have these guys yelling Allahu Akbar and it would have been right where you, you right in the Team America World Police territory, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. I, I felt, thought that was a little bit tone deaf. They tried to make Morocco feel like a real place. It was almost like um, my problem with that whole bit was that it's it's like uh, it's it's one foot forward, two feet back, or one step forward, two steps back because they do show some other characters who are from Morocco that aren't faceless goons or aren't assassins and criminals. But the, every all the power seems to be held by white people, and they yes. they fall short uh, like you know because uh, Braun from Game of Thrones is in it and he's like the boss and he's just a white British dude. Uh, or no, he's Italian in it actually. Uh, and then the the leader of the hotel in Morocco is a is a black American woman, right? Yeah. You know, and she's got some uh, Arabic tattoos or henna uh, with Arabic script on her body, which is a little strange. Like, I just don't get what the you know what I mean. Like, it's 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 very strange if you look at it from yeah. like a, a anti colonial or decolonizing perspective. Um, yeah. I don't know. The movie's a bit muddled when you when you, if you if you put that lens on it, um, which isn't really, it's a nitpick. It's not a thing that, you know, they weren't, they probably weren't thinking about this stuff. They just wanted to do an international John Wick movie and Morocco is a really cool place and there's tax credits for shooting there and they get to do a lot of beautiful architecture and you get to see a lot of cool stuff that's unusual outside of like a James Bond movie. Their reasons for doing all this stuff were probably aesthetic and practical. Uh, never mind the, the, the problematic elements of it. So whatever we can, we can take that lens, put it on for a second and then we can take it off. But I think it's, I think even though I like the movie and I, I don't have a big problem uh, with it in general, I think it's worthwhile to point out that this might've been a little strange, you know? Yeah. I didn't enjoy Jerome Flynn's character. That's um, his name. In Morocco. Yeah. He had a bit of a wandering accent going on. Um, really? I thought was his, kind of I was surprised by his accent. I thought his accent was consistent and I didn't, I, I would think that'd be a hard accent to do, 
But I'm not, I don't have a great ear for yeah. accents, though. So it, it was kind of weird. It kind of ch- took me out of the moment a little bit. Um, and I will say as well that next to Keanu Reeves, who is like obviously super highly trained in mm-hmm. all weapons, for whatever reason, he's decided that like this is a handy skill for him to have. And obviously it's come in handy. But like next to him, anyone else holding a weapon just looks stupid with uh. it. I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't agree. Like Halle Berry, like when uh, she's trying to reload a gun, she kind of struggles a little bit, but she's supposed to be an assassin. I don't think, I don't think so. I disagree with you. I, I thought you might say that. Um, when you started talking about anybody next to Keanu Reeves, I watched the training videos with her and him. Uh, she's just as good as he is. Yeah. Yeah. Like probably not as practiced, but you should check that out on YouTube. Uh, she's crazy good. Um, she can do I'm not I, saying she's bad, but yeah. like there was a couple of moments like in the Morocco scenes where I was like, you could probably be a little bit faster at that. I'm, that, I really? mean, <laughs> I'm just looking for you're, things to you're, pick Sometimes at you're here. just hard on the ladies though, Sam, you know? Am I? You can be, you can be. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to call you out, but I remember like, I, I just think you hold them to Like you, you hold, you know that it matters a lot when women get to be in a movie like this and get to do, especially a 50 year old woman like Halle Berry getting to be an action hero in a movie. It's like if the awareness of like the, the standards that they have to reach always higher than the standards men have to reach. I think it makes, makes you scrutinize them a little bit more. I, that's, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I don't go into films like actively thinking I need to no. look at what she's doing and pick holes. I, I don't think like anyone does. It's almost like, like subconscious. Appear to me. Yeah, maybe. Remember our talks but, about Gal Gadot and Brie Larson when we were talking about Captain Marvel and Wonder Woman? You always, came, yeah. like, you know, like you're kind of, I have to say, you have the same conversations with Sterling about um, some of the black filmmakers and black actors that he is dis- perpetually disappointed in. And, and I, we, you know, we used to talk about it. And I think it's, there's a certain amount to which, like, these people are almost like ambassadors. They shouldn't have to be. But, like, you know, Captain Marvel's a big deal because there's only been two female-led superhero movies. You know what I mean? So it yeah. has to be, like, any false note just, just has way more volume. It's way louder than the latest Thor movie, you know? If something's off about yeah. the latest Thor movie, you don't notice it as much because, whatever, there's a ton of these and... It's just not, I don't know. That's just the theory I have about, about, because I didn't notice that about Halle Berry at all. I didn't notice her being slow. No. I, you know, yeah, I didn't, it was not the kind of thing that would have stood out to me. Mm, maybe you're right. Maybe I am a little bit too harsh. Or you could be right. And she is slower than Keanu Reeves. And, and you were, you were like kind of in the back of your head being like, is anybody as well-trained as he is? Is anybody as good <laughs> as he is? All these people are goofs. Cause that's kind of the point. Like John Wick is so much better at fighting than almost everyone else that he fights. Right. True. He very, yeah. very rarely has to acknowledge like an equal or whatever, which is why it's so cool when he does. Like he doesn't kill Common in Chongwei Chapter Two because he has no reason to kill Common, and they're almost equally matched. And then in the third movie, he doesn't kill the two um, Indonesian dudes, uh, one of whom is from the Raid movie, so it was nice to see him. He doesn't kill those yeah. guys uh, because they're kind of there's like a professional courtesy happening there like they're like they give him a minute to put his belt on his you know and they and they kind of are yeah. like are you that good like they're, they're not even fighting him because they want to kill him uh out of some sick like i will get to mark DeCasco's character in a minute but because yeah. i i got lots to say about him because i love i love him and i loved i loved him in this movie but uh the, these guys like he doesn't kill them because you know he gives them a chance and they take it and he tries to give a, that guy a chance in the library and the guy doesn't take it you know but he's still he makes yeah. he makes all these dudes look like chumps all the time so maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe when you're watching anybody else, you expect the bad guys to uh, to be not as good. But when you he doesn't really fight with allies ever. This is like the first time. So when he's fighting with yeah. allies, you're kind of watching 
to see if they're as good as he is, maybe. So you could be right. It yeah. might not be like a like a like a like an extra sensitivity to like um, women in these kinds of roles. Um, it might even be problematic for me to suggest that it could be that. Actually, come to think of it, <laughs> that might be me being an asshole. But uh, I hope not. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So speaking of Mark Dacascos, yeah. uh, I liked. I liked him in this movie a lot. I was very surprised that he's like, senpai, notice me all the time. Like that's his, <laughs> his whole thing is that he's a John Wick super fan. And yeah. uh, I loved that. Cause like Mark yeah, Dacascos, yeah, Mark Dacascos has been, he was like one of my childhood action heroes. Cause he was in some movies that like nobody else has seen, like only the strong and crying Freeman and uh, double dragon. Like I loved him when I was a kid, I grew up watching his stuff. And uh, then, yeah. then his career kind of just never really went anywhere. He never became a Jean-Claude Van Damme or a Keanu Reeves or whatever, um, even though he's always been really good. And he's actually a good actor, too. Like, Jean-Claude Van Damme didn't become a good actor till he got old. Uh, same with, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? But, um, yeah. Or, like, any of those guys. But, like, uh, he, Mark Caskell was always pretty good, you know? And so in yeah. this movie, he's, like, this goofy bastard who, like, loves John Wick and just wants to kill him because he can't <laughs> be him. And I loved that. I thought that was fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah. I just loved the, yeah, I loved his energy. Yeah. Just like he was so psyched to yeah. be fighting John Wick. Yeah. He was just like, oh my God, my dreams have come true. Yeah. And then he's like, that scene that's in the trailer as well, he was just like, you have not disappointed. Like, yeah. that would be me if I was fighting John Wick. And the tone Wick. of that like, was oh God, different so because I, I thought that he was going to be like a cool, a cool bad guy. And at first they're kind of like, oh yeah, he's a cool John Wick, like, he's like John Wick's shadow. Like he's like, but that's just what he thinks he is. He thinks he's yeah. common. You know what I mean? Like he thinks he's like John Wick's like nemesis, but he's really just another goof. It's like Ruby. Yeah. It's, it's like a version of Ruby Rose's character in John Wick chapter two, where she thinks that she's going to be John Wick's, you know, Oh, you, you think yeah. you're so great buddy. Well, you've never met me. And he fucks her up in two seconds, you know, um, yeah. Mark DeCascos gives him a bit more of a challenge, but no, notably, what, what's so cool about this uh, is the, the thought and, and heart that goes into thinking about how these things are going to play out is that he waits until John is exhausted, like an 80s yeah. movie villain. Like he waits till John's like tired after fighting all his goons. And then he's like, now we'll fight and it'll be a fair fight. You know, it's like yeah. it's like because he's he's actually scared and he, can't, he doesn't really think he can win. He doesn't really think he's a match, you know. Um, yeah. So it's it's cool. Kind of. It's like when um, this is going to seem like a deep, deep cut, but. Uh, when Ultron um, kill, like he, he gets like Ultron can't beat the Avengers uh, in a physical fight. You know, yeah. uh, he's not that much more powerful than Iron Man or any of them. So what does he do? He gets in a Quinjet and he shoots them with a gun. You know what I mean? That's what he tried. That's what an 80s movie villain thing to do to like, uh, you know, like uh, run, run away and grab a big gun and then try to like th- threaten somebody or kill somebody innocent, you know? Um, yeah who isn't paying attention or who can't defend themselves. And I love that Ultron was such a coward in the end, that that's what he does. Uh, and to me, Zero, which is Marta Casco's character's name, of course, and that's perfect. That's what kind of guy he is, you know? Yeah. He's just a bully with delusions of grandeur, but a really funny one. Yeah. And I, I kind of yeah. love that, you know? I love the fact that John Wick doesn't outright kill him as well. Like Yeah. Yeah. He injures him in a really horrific way. And he probably well, is. Well, he, he die mortally there, wounded for him, sure. for sure. Yeah. And he doesn't like cut his throat or be like, I'm the last thing you'll ever see. He just leaves him. And then, you know, he, Mark Casca's character's like, 
I'll catch up with you. Uh, I'll see you in a minute. And John Wick's like, no, you fucking not. Yeah, like, you won't. No, you won't. You're you know? there. You know, well, he yeah. knows he's going to die. Like, he's going to bleed out, right? And then, he, and then he does. Yeah. Um, But it's that bravado that, like, that, like I'm in an action movie. You know what I mean? Because that's what, like, the character, yeah. the character thinks he's in an action movie. And I, I love it, too, because he's a ninja and he trains ninjas. Yeah. And I think that's the movie kind of making fun of, of, like, the idea of, like, modern day ninjas in a sense. Um, yeah. because there's lots of dudes who like run ninjutsu, ninjutsu and, uh, and, uh, oh, there's another name for it. Um, but yeah, ninjutsu schools. Like I knew a guy who went to like ninjutsu school and like, you know, it was like, it was basically like karate, but like it was ninja karate and like, it's all, a lot of it's bullshit, you know? Like there's like one yeah. guy in Japan who like, who like is the last dude who knows ninjutsu. Like it's an old, like, like tradecraft from like, yeah when spies were like running around you know like like i don't know there's a lot of mythos around it and like it's the kind of thing like like cool dudes you know like and weeboos try to get into like with their naruto runs and shit and uh and i think the movie's kind of making fun of that a little bit it's a little yeah it's a little like uh it's a little bit like with the west flexing on the east because i know that like um there's a lot of that now where like people go like katanas are, are nothing and because uh, there's all this mis- mi- like this mythos around Japanese swords and stuff and there's a there's a backlash and there's a backlash against Asian martial arts too and HEMA is a big thing with nerdy white dudes who hate anybody who's not white and like you know not all HEMA aficionados are, are, are like that but there's a bit of a culture of like of like sneering or or backlash against Eastern martial arts and Eastern action kind of aesthetics and stuff you know and trying to replace it with, yeah. with Western stuff. And the, the, the whole mil, mil, uh, mil sim people, like military simulation uh, people, like the guys who like play Call of Duty and like try to talk in like army jargon, those guys all like, like love the idea of like, oh, like, you know, tactical American supremacy and like close quarters combat versus like goofy Asian martial arts that are all about kicking guys when really what you should do is punch them in the throat. Like you only have to hear a couple dudes talk like this to get kind of what, some of the like probably the the, the headspace that the John Wick stunt choreographers are in, you know, because they're probably Westerners. But I don't really know. Yeah. I, I could also just be like reading all this into it because I'm I know a little bit about that that shitty discourse. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Lots to say about about uh, about John Wick Chapter Three. Yeah, for sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> is there anything else we wanted to discuss? We've gone quite deep. Yeah, no, I, 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 yeah, I know, I know. I, I don't know. Is there? <laughs> is there like? Uh, I think we've we've touched on a lot. Of, like our early, the early part of this review has been it was really pretty analytical. But like we got into like the fun stuff, the the things we thought were a bit gripey, you know. Yeah. Overall, it it was like it's just as good as the other three it's just it was like maybe just in my favorite dipped a little bit sure. but like for for no no discernible reason i don't think yeah um, i think everybody I'm, I'm still excited i think yeah. everybody will have a favorite john wick in the end i don't know what i think two might be mine um but i i like when a sequel expands and and gets a little bit more strange and operatic and weird I liked the yeah. I like the raid too better than the raid, which is blasphemous, you know, to most people. Um, <laughs> things like that, you know, like uh, so. I, I think John Wick Chapter Two right now, if I had to say, if John Wick had a gun to my head and I had the time, I would say Chapter Two <laughs> is my favorite. But uh, <laughs> yeah, 
I like chapter three a lot because I th- and I think chapter three will grow in my esteem because it really opens up. It doesn't open up the physical world. It does that, but it it, it opens up the world building a little bit too. Not as much as I hoped, but it really opens yeah. up the moral and philosophical landscape of these movies in a way the other two didn't. The other two were much tighter, more contained in that sense and and straightforward. Yeah. And this one is a lot more like, wait, what is all this really about? Well, it could be about this. It could be about that. What do you think? Because they, they flat out talk, uh, like like I said, I was, I was fascinated that the dialogue so often riffed on ideas of fealty and loyalty and service and obedience and obligation and all that shit. Um, yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. It's very ritualistic. Yeah. In entire society. Well, I often think that it's almost like if you if John Wick was a bunch of movies about vampires instead of assassins, they would be fundamentally the same. <laughs> you know. Yeah, essentially. Or if they were yeah. if they were samurai movies, you know, like and I sa- samurai films are like one of my genres. Like I I love samurai films, so I see a lot of the same DNA in even though I'm, I'm talking about the stunt people flexing on Eastern stuff by focusing a lot on on so called Western like. Uh, sort of practical like um martial arts techniques versus like karate and shit um yeah i think i think that there's a a real love and respect for for asian cinema in in these movies of course there is because there's the bullet ballet uh sort of john woo hong kong movies that john the john wick movies have a little bit of dna with and there's the whole samurai thing like that i keep talking about which is a huge huge part of the like thematic um sense you know yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think they watch a lot of samurai movies is what I'm trying to say. The people who made this, <laughs> yeah. Chad Stahelski and, uh, or is it, is it Dave Stahelski? Sta- no, Chad Stahelski Chad. and Derek Kolstad. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two. It's uh, Keanu Reeves's stunt double yeah. from the 90s. Yeah, yeah. That's, they don't look very much alike, but that's still bonkers, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, uh, one thing I'll say too is I love how these movies are a uh, uh, smorgasbord of Keanu Reeves, like, like, the people he's like worked with and some of the other movies he's famous for like a lot of matrix actors turn up in these but it was fun to see um the key the key maker from the matrix uh sequels is the doctor randall duck kim yes yeah yeah i'm sure if you looked at all the imdbs for all of these all these people they would all popped up in a a counter reese movie in some in some place oh yeah for sure like, this is just, like, his friends list. He must have just, like, hit call all, like, on his contacts list and just been like, I'm making a film, who's in? Yeah. And, like, everyone said yes. I, I, I will say, too, that I really liked Asia Kate Dillon uh, as the adjudicator. Yes. Um, she's, yes. I love her. She's, I, I don't really, I never watched Orange is the New Black enough to see her in that. But uh, I, I learned about her because she does a voice in, a, in, a, in an animated show called Genlock that I really like. And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, and she played, did you see that at all? It's good. I should do. I, I know of I it. I've do never a, watched you it. You should. I, I should do a booster it. pack on that. Um, so <laughs> Asia K. Dillon is is, a, is non-binary. Um, I shouldn't say she. I think uh, they they go by they pronouns. Um, so they yeah. are uh, uh, like an interesting presence in John Wick Chapter Three because they're so young. Like Asia yes. K. Dillon is two years older than me, and of all the people you'd think, you'd think they'd get another old British white dude to play the heavy <laughs> adjudicator character, but they get, uh, you know, a, a 35-year-old, <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, it was a very cool, uh, very cool role. Yeah, I, I enjoyed um, that role a lot. Um, 
they were very stoic and it was kind of like a comedic relief sometimes as well because yeah. they were so like straight laced and straight to the point like when uh when zero hands them um some of the the puff fish is it or blowfish or something yeah. the japanese uh yeah the the, uh, the fugu fish yeah the fugu fish and he's like oh it's very poisonous mm-hmm. and they're like hmm tasty and just ate it like i would never do that but she just like they don't even like pull a face or anything like, yeah straight to the point doesn't even care that like winston's hanging up the phone on them or anything i'm glad yeah. they're not dead was, because they'll be great. in the next one probably right yeah i hope so i hope so i would like to see a lot more of them yeah that was a, that was a, an excellent role um, and kind of one that I didn't expect to see for some reason. Like it was kind of an interesting uh, element to add to the story that they have someone who adjudicates yeah. this type of thing. Yeah, it's weird, but um, but hella interesting. Yeah. Nice. I'm trying to think if there was anything else uh, in it that I wanted to like. I don't know. Talk about, but I think we've kind of like covered everything I wanted to discuss. Yeah, about I think. Film. Well, usually we come to a point where we're like, what? What? Else? We start looking for things that we could talk about <laughs> yeah. more. And there's there, that's usually a good place to say, hey, that's enough. Uh, if you if you guys have thoughts, uh, particularly about my rambly um, speeching about uh, the the philosophical uh, stuff in this movie, because I feel like there's a lot of discussion about that that could happen that in my spaces at least, generally isn't happening. That argument that I had notwithstanding, because it did start in a different place and ended up being about that, uh, kind of like this review. So <laughs> if you have comments on that, please email us at our email address, which I can't remember the name of ever, or tweet us at the Twitter uh, handles that we're going to give you in a second, uh, and just generally let us know what you think. If you, It would be interesting yeah. to see people weigh in, too, on this idea that Halle Berry didn't quite pull her weight in the gunfights as, as much as Keanu Reeves, although I do think... Um, there's no way she has as much training as him. I said she's just as good, but that's based off of a couple of YouTube videos of them doing um, target shooting and stuff. And it's like, but she's only done one of these. And Keanu Reeves has done three and has and is, has, has a reputation yeah. for being a serious, seriously committed uh, uh, action actor in general. Like he always prepares and trains a lot um, for his roles. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> he might not really, she might not really be anywhere near as good as him. It's actually, you know... Something I'll watch for yeah, next I time. She wasn't bad. Like I'm no, not you you you, poop, you pooped anything, on her, and you're a dog person and everything. I did. You took no, a big old poop. I said that she was slightly slower than Kyo. Yeah, you did. You're right. I, I, Which is possible. I probably jumped on all, on that for my own reasons. Um, <laughs> last note, then though, before we sign off, it was really cool to see Halle Berry in this. Her career kind of nosedived. Yes. Um, she had a couple of really good dramatic roles, like Monsters Ball. Uh, she was like a, she was on the verge of becoming like a very serious like actress um you know where she was going to be in a lot more dramas and stuff like that and then she kind of did I, I don't remember if she did catwoman that right around then or if it was swordfish but after that i don't know what happened to her she just kind of disappeared it felt like and it's so yeah. it's really cool to see her in something like this she's barely aged a fucking day i when i read that she was yeah. 51 or something like that i was shocked and she's just like yeah uh, she looks about 24 yeah and she and, and and you can see too like there's one scene where they're talking about um and it reminded me of kill bill a little bit how kill bill's dialogue feels like it's lifted right out of a samurai movie a lot of the time and it's very arch and over the top and yeah. overly overly like f- like people are saying things they would normally actually hide behind a euphemism but they're actually just flat out saying them there's a bit where she's talking to john about her daughter and about getting out of the life where you can just see how good of an actress emotively 
um, how expressive Halle Berry is compared to Keanu Reeves, you know? And like, uh, everybody always says he's a really generous actor. He never tries to upstage other, other actors in the, in the scene. He's always doing whatever he can to make them look as good as, as, as he can. And, uh, I don't usually think about that when I see him in stuff, but I thought about it during that scene because I could see how good Halle Berry was and how, you know, Keanu Reeves doesn't emote like quite as expressively. Right. So it almost looks like she's just a better actress and I don't know if that's true, but you can see a distinction there. And it was kind of cool to see like that glimmer back uh, that I remember from her uh, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. This was like a return to form for her. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. I agree in wholehearted form. Sweet. And that's, that's, that's <laughs> okay. the episode. Yeah. I mean, do we have a haiku? Oh, fuck. Uh, John Wick I almost week. forgot. Okay. I, I forgot about the haiku thing. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do a haiku. Um, do you, do you want to do the first line again? Hmm. Do I want to do the first line? I actually haven't prepared for this week, so it's going to have to be off the top of my head. Um, I think I can do the first and last one. Okay. So maybe I'll do the middle. So give yeah. me a first line. Okay. I got an idea for the, the last line. So give me a second for the first line. Um, uh, hmm. John Wick shooting heads. Yeah, John Wick shooting heads. That's the first line. John Wick shooting heads. Five. Five syllables. Okay. Uh, Keanu Reeves is badass. Is that seven? I think so. Okay. Keanu Reeves is badass. Is Reeves two or one? I think it's Reeves one. Reeves is one. Yeah, so that's okay. So John Wick shooting heads. Keanu Reeves is badass. And our last line is now prepare for war. Yes. Well, maybe. It's not our finest work. It's a little, it's almost too focused. Mm, hold on. It needs to be more hold abstract. On. I'm going to. Oh, no. I was going to say Halle Berry is on form <laughs> on form um can you just say like Halle Berry slaps or something like that or <laughs> Harry Belly Hall Halle Berry it's be seven syllables. nice to see ya <laughs> um we could just like list off we could just do a haiku made out of the actors names how about uh the gun is mightier <laughs> okay so than something <laughs> I'm just throwing things out uh, here. This is this is a tricky one. Uh, um, hmm. Oh, can we fit Baba Yaga in there somewhere? Baba Yaga. It's four, okay. so. Baba Yaga coming at ya? No, it's too many. Baba Yaga is coming. That works, okay, right? Yeah, so John Wick shooting heads. Baba Yaga is coming. Now prepare for war. Yeah. That's that's a that's almost like uh, th that's our most advertisement e one maybe. You know? <laughs> yeah. I liked I like our yeah. Pikachu one still a little bit better, but okay, let's let's run it down. So, John Wick shooting heads. Baba Yaga is coming now. Prepare for war. Like that's it. our haiku this week. You got, you got a little <laughs> not quite as you, good. Yeah, you got to but... hear our us uh, stumbling on this one. So enjoy that that awkwardness, listeners at home. Um, For sure. but that'll, that'll close out the week. Uh, I know I talked an awful lot more 
even than normal probably this time, but hopefully it was more clear what I'm saying. Uh, and I didn't talk as fast as I usually do. I'm trying to work on that. <laughs> um, Sam, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at JustBase or on Twitter at Sam underscore Jane. Um, yeah, that's about it. Where can we find you, Evan? I'm just going to go with Twitter this week. Uh, Evan Todd McCoy. Um, that's all one word, no hyphens or punctuation, all lowercase. Uh, I yep. would I would plug my blog, but I haven't updated it since like fucking February. I'll start talking about it again if I if I get writing on it again. Um, that, yeah. That's that's what we'll do. So just come at me on Twitter. What is our email address for those who don't like Twitter? <laughs> it's uh, movie night s n e at gmail.com sam uh shit what's the sam sam and evan sam and evan sam n e for evan yeah so yeah what's what's the n in some milson person who's mad at my milson uh call outs earlier is gonna fucking angrily tweet us nobody ever tweets us uh about about, uh about what the military uh code for n words is I can't, I can't remember uh, that one. Prob- it's probably like Sierra Nevada Echo. It's Nevada. It's no, you just said it. It's Nevada. So Sam, <laughs> Sam Nevada Evan. Um, that's exactly what I was talking about is that shit. Uh, I used to, I used to know all of them. I used to impress myself by, by being able to rattle them off. I don't remember how I learned them, but I used to know, know them all. And now I don't, I forget yeah. them all the time. I used to know them as well. Cause I worked in a call center that's, at a bank. So you I know had what? To that's know probably them. where I picked it up too. Back when I was a telemarketer <laughs> in the old days. Yeah. Um, all right. So fun, fun. Yeah. Uh, you guys, uh, at home, you, you take it easy. Uh, be, be great to each other or as Keanu would say, be excellent to each other. Yep. And, uh, we'll catch you next week when we'll be covering Brightburn. Yep. I believe. Well, that's the one. <laughs> yep. Brightburn, awesome. Brightburn, right. bad Superman. <laughs> you already filter information we'll from sound, week. smell and touch, but now you're going to be assaulted. <laughs> by a million things you never even knew existed. <laughs>